Hello, everyone. You're listening to CJSW Writer's Block on 90.9 FM. I'm your guest host for today, Courtney Dingerville. I'm host and producer, Dimphony Dronick. I'm host and producer, Cody Dronick. Our guests tonight include Sophie Stocking and Daniel Fox. Our show airs on the third Wednesday of every month at 8.30 p.m. And if you've missed it live, you can check out the podcast at cjsw.com. Burdened by the notion that a career should encompass everything, Sophie Stocking changed her major so often she narrowly escaped a degree in general studies. Chapters in social work, architecture, and motherhood followed. She finally noticed that she'd always been writing, and in terms of encompassing everything, stories fit the bill. Sophie found the courage to pursue writing fiction at the Alexander Writers Center and went on to study under Aretha Van Herc at the University of Calgary. Quarter Nine is her debut novel. She hopes one day to own a hedgehog. Sophie Stocking, hello. Hello. How are you today? Great. That's good to hear. So we're here talking about Quarter Nine, which is your book. Yes. My debut novel. Your debut novel. I'm so excited for it. Uh, reading it was an absolute treat, I have to say. Did you really read it? I did really read it. don't usually really read it, so I, I really read through the whole that. thing. It's kind of our, our MO here. We read the books. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really did enjoy this. I thought that there was a lot going on in it. And for such a compact book, you cover so much within it. There's everything from dealing with grief and loss and rebirth and discussions about the afterlife and where we go from here to what am I going to cook for dinner and how do I get groceries <laughs> on a day-to-day -day basis? I think food should really, I don't understand all these old novels that have no mention of food in them mm. and it really annoys me because I want to know what people ate. Mm. It's so important. So that is I, I always write about food. There's a lot of food in the book. It's, there is. It's fantastic. I got hungry reading it and went and made <laughs> a dinner. It, it's interesting, though, because of the way the food isn't even just a discussion of like, here's what we eat on a daily day on a day to day basis. It's more of a, like a conversation around what role food actually plays in our lives and the functionality around how does that build a family and mm. what role and, and who's cooking, how does that play out? Mm. And then I found it so interesting about the, the children's kind of hook on Ichiban <laughs> noodles <laughs> and and their discussion around, you know, okay, well, dad's food sucks. How do we get more Ichiban so we can actually have sustenance? Survive. <laughs> yeah. And then how that ends up being a problem, because I think that right now, we have a lot of issues with like, this pre-packaged, pre-made kind of food. Mm -hmm. And so I find it really interesting that there's that tension between this this pre-packaged Ichiban and, and kind of the effects that that has on, interesting. Yeah. on I'd thought of that. one of the children. And then how that actually plays out within how food connects them as a family. I really enjoyed that. Like, it's just a nice little undertone towards all of these bigger things going yeah. on. I think it was symbolic of, of nurturance, food. Yeah, yeah, so, I agree with that. Yeah. And kind of that plays into the role that your, your main character, Bernadette, has within her family and in that difficult relationship she had with her father, Fabian. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that that's such an interesting aspect to it because there's a lot of connections between the genealogy of the family Mm -hmm. within this family mm -hmm. um the 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 extreme nurturing nature of 
Bernadette Sr. Right, the grandma. The grandmother. Yes. And how that is reflected in her namesake in Bernadette, who's kind of our our character that we get to see this world through. I, I found that to be really interesting. And that tension between Evelyn, who's Bernadette, the grandmother's daughter. Yes. And her son Fabian is is it's just interest interesting to kind of see that reversal of that family pattern. You really read the book. I did really read wow. the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Poor Evelyn had a hard time of it with. Yeah, she she um her Model T in the nineteen mm. twenties went over a, a blown out bridge, and um, when they were going to a party she and her friends and um, she broke every bone in her body and the doctor thought she wouldn't live and so he just sort of laid her out on a kitchen table and tried to straighten her out for the coffin literally and because my grandmother was tough as nails she survived (laughs) so that that memento that does come from your real life yeah that's phenomenal my my grammy yeah oh my gosh yeah she was uh so she had chronic pain all her life. Mm-hmm. And I think she should have been, she was very smart in university. Um, she should have been a professor. Um, but, you know, she, that wasn't available to her. And yeah. I think it was really hard for her to be a mother. Yeah. She just wasn't made for it. But, but ends up being a mother and yes, having and all of these Yes, and she got one hell of a, of a challenge. Like, yeah. Yeah. In Fabian, it <laughs> yes. seems. He was trouble. So a lot of this is actually based on on your life and kind of the the legacies of your family. I know that um, I, I know that you have talked about previously how this was kind of an exploration of your own father's life yeah. and kind of dealing with that. And uh, there was there was something I read that you'd written about the the use of of literature as therapy and how yeah. that had kind of it's um, an opportunity to transform something. Yes, and. Um, I'm interested in uh, sort of new um, types of therapy that are mm-hmm. happening now that are based on um, on trauma and how it resides in your body. Yes. And um, it's interesting. They treat it um, by reimagining what happened. And the idea is your brain doesn't know, doesn't really discern the, the, which memories are true or not. Mm-hmm. That you can just actually feel quite a bit better, and I did. I did this before I was even thinking about anything like that, and it made it totally transformed it for me. It made it so I could really move on. That's um, amazing. It was amazing. It was liberating. Yes, yeah. I can imagine that. I, I think that something that that's so clear in this book is the evidence of post generational trauma and how it trickles down mm. through the family from Evelyn's accident right into Eben, the, the oldest son in, of Bernadette's, and okay. how there's kind of all of these mementos of that initial trauma that still play out and how it really centered in into Fabian. Mm-hmm. But then this broken relationship that David and Bernadette both had with their father was really interesting to kind of to kind of see that and how they both tried in their own ways to kind of cut that cycle off yes. at its knees yep. and to kind of be done Do it with right. this yeah. kind of over-traumatization. <laughs> yes. I found that to be just an interesting part of the book. And we haven't even gotten into even the really crazy parts of the book. <laughs> like <laughs> this this whole area that you've kind of created within the actual Corridor 9 mm-hmm. and these multiple layers. Did you want to speak to where that came from? That was amazing to read. Oh. Um, 
yeah, people ask me where these things come from, and I can't really um, be held responsible. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just digest a lot of stuff, mm -hmm. and then it comes out of my subconscious, and it's quite spontaneous. Um, but I have always been very interested in Hinduism, and, mm -hmm. and um, my parents were hippies, and they each had uh, East Indian gurus. Oh, wow. So I grew up knowing a great deal about that sort of thing. And I also really like Buddhism, Mm -hmm. And the whole idea of, of karma is really interesting to me. So I sort of, I but I wanted to get away from any set religion. I just sort of wanted to have a run at it and uh, play in that arena. Because who knows, right? Like, That's exactly About it. the master plan. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just found it to be so interesting because as I'm as I'm I'm reading the book and as I'm thinking about it, I'm going, well, this is nothing like Dante's Inferno. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is nothing like any of that. It, it was so unique, and I'm I'll admit I'm very unfamiliar with any kind of Eastern religion. Mm -hmm. uh, like very unfamiliar. I need to do more research and do more. I, I need to educate myself better. And so it was a very interesting kind of kind of thing to watch Peter, the husband of Bernadette, try to explain it to their children as well mm. and kind of his inability to and his ability to in a little bit of a way was yeah. very interesting and kind of, I don't know, it was very, it was a very fascinating part, but I know that you've, you've written a little bit about it, but can you talk about where Boone came from? Boone, um, he, he arrived full blown in my mind one day when I was, um, Every day I would drive to my kids' school to pick them up and I would watch this woman walking from the hospital to a daycare mm -hmm. very close to my kids' school. And she had a long and really um, dramatic coat and she would walk with incredible determination and like she was on a mission to go pick up her little girl and the coat would stream out behind her. And I was struggling with what to do with all of this. And all of a sudden she morphed into this demon angel named Boone, who I didn't know his name yet, but he was going to pick up my dad. Mm -hmm. And um, and then I was at Heartland Cafe going through, searching for names. That's what I do next is I search for names for all the characters. Mm -hmm. And um, Boone came up and I liked a boon is a gift or a large uh, gift. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know why he had, and I, I started looking at demons and mm -hmm. there are ones with three heads and um i just thought they'd come in handy and they did yeah <laughs> very interesting it's such an interesting blend of these of these all, all these cultural religious kind of I ideas coming together it, it was familiar and yet different yeah you know like there's enough of it that felt like something i i knew something about but also i knew nothing about which is i think how it should feel sometimes when you're yeah. I'd like everyone those. to be able to uh, explore that yeah. territory, sort of with um, more of an open mind and, and uh, yeah, and define it maybe for themselves instead yeah. of by a religion. I don't know. Who knows? I yeah, mean, maybe there are funny little furry creatures who are <laughs> looking out for us. Right? <laughs> I hope so. So speaking about kind of how you write and and the writing process, how does that play out for you? How how long did it take for this to go from conception of I'm going to put this into words to here, editor, please look over this? Um, I did it in a course with Aretha Van Herc, mm -hmm. Um and I'd been quite terrified to go into that class. But I I put together a portfolio of a few stories at the Alberta Writer, um, 
at the Alexander Writers Center. And then I submitted it and they let me come in for some reason. And um, it was in the evenings and there were um, some other older, you know, older people, older than 20. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and it was a um, fantastic experience, really, really intensive. Um, so I wrote it in those two semesters. Wow. Yeah. And Retha told us we wouldn't pass unless um, we wrote the whole book. But then she passed a lot of people who didn't, so it was, <laughs> <laughs> rotten. But I, I really desperately wanted her to edit the entire thing for me, mm -hmm. so I was determined to finish it, and she did. That's amazing. Yeah. And how did you hear about that class? How did that come into your life? I don't know. I think it was a teacher at the Alexander Writer Center mm -hmm. who mentioned it. And uh, yeah, it remyelinated my verbal brain in a big <laughs> way. <laughs> In your in your bio, it says that you barely barely escaped a, a general studies major. Yes. In university, how was that path for you? I would say I had a very convoluted career path, <laughs> <laughs> and I had I did have this weird thing in my head that I just couldn't get away from this nagging sense that a career should be a wraparound all of everything, sort of in a meaningful mm -hmm. in in the realm of meaning. And um, so I was in psychology and, you know, diddling around all over the place. And then I went into architecture and um, writing wraps around everything. It does. Yeah. It and does. it's really satisfying to me. <laughs> it, it's beautiful how you've kind of created such a, such a very clear world. I have to say that for me, I don't know what it is, but whenever I read a book, I always set it in some small town in some off of the city shoot in somewhere in the United States. And oh. then all of a sudden, you're mentioning Cochrane and places I've been and Calgary. And so... Really? You don't write from Alberta? I don't think of Alberta when I read or when I write. Wow. Which is such an interesting thing because I, I think that... For me, I've I've digested so many American novels and okay. American TV shows that it's okay. created yeah. this like fake place that everything can be set in, okay. unless it's like New York or LA. <laughs> and so for me, it, it was kind of a it was kind of a shock to read something that was actually about where I'm from. Mm. Where, how to me that seems like a a difficult choice for you. Was it or was it an obvious choice? Oh no, it's just very natural. Natural. Yeah. No, I want to write from here. Yeah. Yeah, I want. Yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's Aretha Van Herk. Maybe she's sort of inspired that in me. Mm. But um, she said, you know, she read all this stuff and it nothing was from the little area in Alberta where she grew up. And yeah. she wanted to write from there. And um, yeah, I love I love this place and um, the flora and the fauna and the seasons and the whole thing yeah yeah it's painfully vivid in this like oh, good it's it's wonderful you're talking about driving over the hill in Cochrane waiting for the train and I'm like I, I've been there that's the road I go into Cochrane all the time yeah. it was it was really I don't know why it was so surprising but it was very pleasant good. like it was a very pleasant surprise in the novel um I, I think that you're right I think that there is a lot of of space for kind of these spaces that that we exist in yeah we as people who live in Alberta yeah that it and, doesn't and the light even about. like yes. it really is a, a unique place yeah 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 and I certainly it's the only one I know <laughs> are you you're from Calgary I was born in Vancouver but I've been here since I was four so oh, so you count yeah I count <laughs> <laughs> um so 
I think one thing I, I wanted to talk to you about is is this character, Eben, though. Mm. How so a lot of these characters are pulled from your own life. Mm. Is is Eben a creation of, of people you know or is or is Eben kind of unique to the story in this world? Um he I, I have a number of children. Um three. And he was um definitely part of my experience with my kids as they went through adolescence and how mm-hmm. they go away and then how they come back mm-hmm. and um, how you think they might not come back. And it's such a wonderful thing when they do, especially the first one. Yeah. You're, you're really just not sure. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. This like, That heartwarming moment between the two of them at the end of the book when Peter comes in and, and they're both there. That was uh, so touching to me yeah. to read. Yeah. Yeah. It's when you've put... You've been so close, mm-hmm. and then they have to go, and you really question what will happen. Yeah. It's, yeah. But they do come back. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you did a really wretched job, but yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that's so so predominant in, in the discussion of, of Fabian and how Fabian, in Bernadette's life, does try and come back mm. and does try to reconnect but it's not done in a healthy, no. mature no. way. A selfish way. Uh, yeah, yeah, as opposed to that kind of loving environment that's created between Bernadette and Eben, mm-hmm. where he's able to come back in a healthy way that's mature and there's always space for him. Yes. That that I thought was a, a very unique contrast, especially happening so close together. Yeah. 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 It was a mother and son reunion. Yeah. Yeah, where there couldn't have been one. Originally, mm-hmm. yeah, I yeah, I, it was so so interesting to read this. But uh, some of the characters that that came in came very like very full, like they looked so full when I was reading them on the page. Um, the the two gentlemen from the ADD <laughs> <laughs> from this from this company yes. that Bernadette hires to After come death in detail. yes to come in and clean up Fabian's house and, uh-huh. and deal with the mess that's there and you're expecting the hazmat guys and you're expecting the white suits and everything zipped up and in come these two skids <laughs> it's so so remarkable to see these two characters come so fully formed and and so like a breath of fresh air in this dark, dusty, dingy house that Fabian had locked himself into. Mm. And I thought that was so, so creative to kind of mix the tensions in okay. the novel. Yeah. I really I have to um, credit a friend of mine who, who we were taking a dog walk and she came up with the ADD. Oh, and she really? just fell over laughing. She thought it was so funny. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm fascinated by um, rough guys, mm-hmm. you know. It seems like Bernadette has such a connection to that that sense of mothering and, and homeness mm-hmm. that she kind of made every space she was in or every person she interacted with yes. more at home, if that makes sense. Yeah. Which was... Bernie is from... Uh, the name is means bear huh. or the good mother, yeah. Very interesting. That has a lot of significance in so many different cultures about bears and their connections to mothers. I think so, yeah. 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 Fabian means little seed. He's just starting out. That makes so yeah. much sense with <laughs> <laughs> in the character. Yeah. That that does. I 
I really enjoyed this. And I think I read in here, too, that you designed the cover art as well. Yeah, that was a big painting I did. Um, it's about four feet square, and it's of a planet. It's the same painting. Oh, wow. Yeah. That Although I wrote it, I painted it some um, years before I wrote mm -hmm. the book. Yeah. So how did the painting and how does this kind of cover, other than how did that work itself in, I guess, is what I want to know. Like, it's, well, it's the painting she does at the end. Yeah. 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 Um, and then um, I, I was with a different publisher and they rudely dumped me and they just sent me <laughs> this really ugly co cover that looked like a crime novel cover. And my daughter's like, please, mom, you have to send your painting and, and, and ask them if they wouldn't do that instead. Then they dumped me. But I um, <laughs> very annoying. And I got picked up by Thistledown and they were absolutely wonderful. And I was very lucky to have been dumped, honestly. Um, and But I sent them the painting right away. And uh, they said, sure. Did the process of, of doing that painting earlier on, did that find its way into the book because you knew that you wanted the painting in the book? Or how did that kind of come about? Again, it was one of those subconscious eruptions, I okay. guess. Yeah. Yeah, the painting was about, it was called Hole, W-H-O-L-E, that's what I named it. And, it. and it was sort of an affirmation that um, my family would come out okay through a fairly rigorous time that we were going through. And that's what Bernie's trying to do as mm -hmm. well. Yeah, both for herself and her father, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And for her whole family. And her in whole a family. Lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I loved this idea of like the kids having this kind of adventure as their mother's having her own kind of internal adventure, their external adventure with this hedgehog, yes. Cynthia, <laughs> which was so entertaining because it's, I was so invested in this little hedgehog, I know, <laughs> which I, I really didn't expect. <laughs> no? No, I, I really, I'm not a, I'm not a small critter person. Okay. Yeah. But it was so impactful that it, it became bigger than this hedgehog. It became how she was going to hold her family together and come back to her family mm. and come away from this whole experience of grief and grieving and being lost in that and kind of getting sucked back into her father. Right. She'd kind of exiled herself from. Mm. And this rediscovery process. Yeah, and it's true. They barely saved Cynthia. So Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Her family were on the, on the skids. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So... How does writing work for you? Is it something that kind of comes easily or is it something that you sit down and have to actually quite difficultly work at? It's so scary. <laughs> <laughs> it's I because of the book launch, which in itself was a terrifying procedure for me because I've never <laughs> done it before. That took up like six months of my mental energy. And uh, so I stopped wow. writing and you should never stop writing. Um, because it's so hard to get back into it. Mm -hmm. um, it's like when you're old, like me, you should never stop working out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it was like that. And um, so then I have to start very slowly. I just managed to write a story. Um, it took me a month, and I would write literally a sentence a day, roughly, <laughs> until wow. it starts to build up. And then all of a sudden, it it's like I liken it to skiing. I'm a very bad skier. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I have to point my skis down the hill every time and think they will turn, <laughs> they will turn, and they do turn. And it's this the will same. Work out. <laughs> I put my pencil on the paper, and ideas come out of it. But it, I don't know really where they come from. So once I start rolling, 
then I then it takes me over. Then I can't sleep, um, and it becomes very consuming, and and I go. Yeah. But, um, to get rolling, somehow to start is just so terrifying. It's ridiculous. I think that there's something terrifying about an empty page looking at you going, what am I going to be today? It's like, I have no idea. Right. (laughs) And especially after, okay, I published a book now, you better be able to write another one that could be published. It's a lot of stage fright too. Do you have something that you're working on? I do. I have another book that is coming out in 2021, a short story collection with Guernica Editions. That's exciting. Yeah. And I just l- wrote the last story for that called, I think it will be called Bobcat. And it's a story based in Boness. Oh, really? Yes. That's and I'm thinking, I'm playing with them being all linked stories to some extent, maybe. Um, and then I'm working on two other projects. Um, um, one called Cleave Me, which is about a woman who has a midlife crisis. And it's about um, uh, maternity and career and how you they can perhaps not fit in one life. It's about a woman who literally um, splits and her life runs parallel, two lives run parallel. So at a hmm. at a juncture in her life, she makes a very important decision and, um, and sh- she splits and she doesn't know this, but another life is running simultaneously with hers and, um, and they meet up when they're both having something of a crisis and, uh, and get together and talk about things. <laughs> wow. That's quite an interesting concept. I can't wait for that to come out. Yeah, I always have to have some fantasy element in my books, it seems. work. It works well. I think it's, it's, I've read so much fantasy to my kids for oh, the yeah. last 20 years. That <laughs> it's infected <laughs> I, your I, life? I, I would miss it, yeah. What, what do you read in your regular life? Well, that's the thing. I didn't. I read cookbooks um, and psychology books and parenting books and stuff like that, right? And and the fiction I read literally for 20 years was the best kids' fiction I could possibly find. E.B. White and, you know, so many wonderful, Edith Nesbitt, all sorts of stuff. Um, but I did read really intensively as a young woman and teenager. Um, and I read a lot of older writers, Colette and Anais Nin and um, Virginia Woolf and... Um, E.M. Forrester, I love mm-hmm. things like that. I think they have a grasp of the English language that we do not. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, but uh, and now I don't have that much time to write, read if I'm going to write. But that's no excuse, anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> I have to try to fit it in. Well, thank you so much for coming in today, Sophie Stocking. I loved your book, Quarter Nine, and I'm so excited to see what else you have to come out yet. Oh, thank you so much, Courtney. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Daniel Fox is an artist, solo wilderness explorer, writer, Lexus ambassador, Fujifilm ex-photographer, Sandist Extreme team member, and Manfrotto photographer. Daniel Fox, welcome to CJSW Writer's Block. Glad to be here. We are so glad to have you here on this brisk December day because we know that you have uh, many miles of travel behind you to get here in time for your book launch tonight. Yes, I I do. I just drove from Moose John this morning. Wow. And then previously we were in Minneapolis. Basically, we've been doing 21 City in North America 
Um, we started in Vancouver, went all the way down to LA, Los Angeles, crossed to Denver, Lincoln, Nebraska, Washington, uh, New York, Boston, Montreal, Toronto, Chicago. So and you, here we are. Since October, right? Yes, October. So you've crisscrossed in and out of fall and winter. Absolutely. And, and now you're back in winter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And you're from Vancouver. Originally from Quebec. Yeah, I, I lived outside of Canada for about 25 years, but now I've been in Vancouver for three, almost four years now. Wow. So, yeah. so for our listener, I mean, I've had the distinct pleasure and honor of living with Thank your you. book for the last <laughs> six weeks. It is a gorgeous, I, I guess we'd call it a coffee table book. It's writing and your gorgeous photographs. Thank you. So your your career, I, I take it, is as a, as a photographer. As a, as a storyteller, writing is as much a part of my work. Obviously, people know me a lot for my for my photography, but my writing is, I would say that my writing is even more important to me. Yeah. And, and the writing that kind of uh, is counterpoint to these gorgeous photographs. So for the listener, these photographs are from all over the world, uh, vistas of nature, intimate little tiny snippets of nature, and then an offset with, with your writing, which yeah. is... Um, very introspective, very yeah. meditational sometimes, uh, intriguing. Um, what, what are you trying to do with this amazing project? Because it is, it is, you know, an inch thick and absolutely full color gorgeous. This is a, a legacy kind of book. I'm blushing now. Um, the, the writing, the writing is more about ourselves um it's these insights about reflecting about our own journey using nature as a framework for personal transformation um i'm an artist and for me wilderness is my studio it's where i go to create um, i use solitude and vulnerability to create a place where i feel like i go out there as a more as a student and my goal is to um, reconnect ourselves with a narrative where we used to look at nature as that place that is bigger than us. And every time, if you go over there with the intent of receiving, then you start to connect and listen and see the dynamics and the, the teachings that can be applied to our own lives and find a certain comfort in that journey that, that we are in life. When I was go reading it, I, I reflected on, I, I was a kid that grew up in the bush. Yes. And, you know, as an adult, now that I'm in my 50s, I've spent far too much time not in the bush. Yes. And I, uh, it may, really made me reflect that we, we tend to view the wild as other, other mm -hmm. from ourselves. Yep. And your approach is quite different from that. It's, yeah. It's being inside of it without feeling. Fearing it as the other. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 one of the things in my work that I'm trying to to um, reframe in our perspective with the natural world. We always see nature as a separate 
destination. Uh, we don't see ourselves connected. In fact, we spend so much effort and energy at trying to live on the planet without having an impact because we see these things differently. Right. When in reality, we are a product of nature. Um, I don't see the human species as, en as different as any other species. I don't see the human species as different than a volcano. Um, and if you start to see ourselves as part of that system, then you, you understand these, these dynamics of change, tension, disruption, transformation. And the, 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 and then the goal after that is not to be disconnected from it, but to, to honor the place that we're supposed to have. We, we're supposed to take from nature. We're, how, how else can we live? But we have to give back. Our relationship with the natural world and with the planet has to be one of symbiosis and reciprocity. And, you know, there's one of the stories that I talk about how, like, our lungs really exemplify different dynamics. And one of, one of the things that the lungs constantly do is they give, they take, they take from, from the world, but then they give back they also. Give back. As much as they want to be greedy and hold on on the air that they've taken in, at one point they can't and you know they have to give back and it's you know the the life is messy it sure is growing but it's beautiful and i think that there's been such a negative connotation of the human species um that i quite frankly don't agree i think that that you know yes we break things, but we fix things. We come together through suffering and through the hardships. We, you know, there's a reason why, the reason why we're soon to be 8 billion on the planet is not because we're bad species, is because we're tremendously good at learning from our mistakes. You know, we rise when, you know, the mess hits the fan. This is, this is what we're, we're good at. Our, we have a fierce sense of survival no matter where we are. But that, yeah, and that's nature. That's life. That's right. Nature throws a bunch of things on the wall and sees what sticks and what doesn't stick. And it's only the hindsight that gives you the capacity to say if it was right and if it was not right, if, if it was good or, or bad. But that's what, that's what we do as children. You know, we push the boundaries to see where they are. And the thing is, you cannot have innovation and creativity without an equal dose of mistakes and stubbornness you know right. they go hand in hand and is it does it diminish the, the urgency of where we are today no but it just changes the perspective of instead of being righteous and thinking that we have to save the world it's more about being humble and understanding that it's about us you know how we have to adapt how, how, how we have to adapt you know we've we're still trying to find our place on this planet. Um, and, you know, if we think of evolution, of starting from bacteria or microbe, you know, all the way to Homo sapiens in Africa, and here we are today, it's not a linear line. It's just a series of fortunate accidents Um that constantly forces life to find its way forward. And, you know, I'm not too sure that the narrative of telling, of blaming ourselves, shaming the past, and inspires people. It kind of, I think it divides more. Because, uh, 
everybody tries to get up in the morning, try to put food on the table and send their kids to school. And, you know, we have to kind of re-empower ourselves moving forward as opposed to kind of look in the past and point fingers. Right. there, And there's something about hope that that helps keep helps us keep trying to do our best. Yes. And if we get too drowned in the negativity, and yeah. then I, I think perhaps that's one of my soapboxes anyway. That, no, know, but it is. You keep trying, and, and the only thing that keeps you going is you don't need to be Pollyanna realist. You know, like you can you can be hopeful. Even in the midst of the worst kind of thing, you can remain hopeful. But, and that's... I think that's the perspective and the beauty that you find when you go out into the wilderness and you and you truly look. You you look at it with really the sense of learning. You know, you can be on the lava field on the of the big island of Hawaii and you know, I write a story about time. Um and I remember the experience that I had on the on the lava field was one of the most visceral that I that I've had in my life. And during the day, you're on this scorched, destroyed, like burned, twisted, like otherworldly. Otherworldly. I mean, there's a line in in my book where it says, you know, Hades never forgave his his, his father to you know to exile him into this no man's land. And like nothing would want to be there, and yet you still have these little sprouts of life coming from you know everywhere. But then you go back at night, and all this has disappeared because now it's just darkness. And then what appears is the glow of lava, and it's you realize that now it's the blood of the earth, and you you come to to connect with the realization that this is not a place of destruction. It's a place of creation. But you also come to realize that creation and destruction work hand in hand. And it's just a question of where you are in that equation, whether it's good or bad for you. But this idea of renewal and the ups and downs, and it's so essential to nature and to life. Mm-hmm. You cannot have ups without having the downs. The only reason why you can call them up is because they have a point of relation to the down. Right, and once you once you start to accept those dynamics, it's not that they go away, but you learn to just move through them much quicker. It's like going and going down a river. You know, you can you can try to swim upward as much as you try as you can, but you're not really going to enjoy the the rides. The idea is to get the skills so that you know how to react when you you know when the when the river throws you something unexpected but the thing that you're going to be in that little safe zone all the way down that's not what life is about life is really about kind of experiencing experiencing the unknown so that you learn and how do we learn and grow is by pushing the boundaries again you know yes (laughs) yes and and someone like you has pushed boundaries that many people can't imagine pushing perhaps and so i'm thinking of the (laughs) photograph in your book of your smashed kayak yes and as a as a novice kayaker (laughs) that that i actually dreamed about that passage because i was like god help me if i ever it's not to be push you know that's too far for me for me not 
for you, though. No, it, well, I mean, and it so, is. So what it's, happened it's not... in your life that, that you have this faith in it being okay to be that vulnerable, perhaps? I have faith in my capacity to, to, to figure it out. And also, I've, I've come to create uh, a mantra that now that I teach, and that's part of my book. You know, Feel the Wild is really about our relationship with life. But then the other side, the connect, the, the, our relationship with ourselves, I have this, these four words, stop, breathe, relax, listen. And it's basically about not letting the events define you. It's every time that you feel that things are getting outside of your control, you know, you kind of stop. You take a deep breath. It's about creating boundaries, getting perspective, so you can see the clarity, and then you can listen. Mm-hmm. And once you start to do that more and more and more often, then it becomes part of your of the way that you you know you deal with life, uh, whether you're out in the wilderness or in a, you know in urban world or watching TV or in a conversation where suddenly you feel you know your blood boiling up <laughs> before you start you know. Uh, reacting you take a deep breath and but these experiences it's it's not that i i'm not a an adrenaline junkie like i'm not and that particular story of the broken kayak happened on the on the on an unusual paddle where usually the way that i that i do my solo expeditions is I go and kind of go with the flow and i let the place soak I, i let myself soak into a place but for this particular paddle, I was doing a fundraising. Um, so it was more it was more about covering distance and time. And I ended up kind of writing, like trying to um, do it quicker because I was I was soon arriving in fall and the the weather was going to change. So I left during a day that the forecast was not great. But the the day was super beautiful, but then I ended up being carried like 13 hours of paddle. um, Into the dark. Into the dark and uh, having this rogue wave that first capsized me me, and then being forced to find a way back to shore and then having to go through this wall of thunderous, destructive breaker, you know, waves that literally just broke my kayak in two. But somehow didn't break your spirit. No, my ego was crushed, though. <laughs> but uh, but you know you cannot take those things personal. There, it's not it's not about you. There are things that are bigger than you, um, and then you have to respect that. You know, if Everest was so easy, you would not respect the effort that it you know that it demands. It's the Pacific Ocean, and uh, and you know sometimes. Sometimes it happens like that. Right. Daniel Fox, what tell us first a little bit before I ask this next next question. Yes. How did this book come to be? Did you set out to write it like this? Was it that you looked at this body of work that you'd accumulated through your your many solo travels and your photography work? Yeah, so these stories, it's a compilation of stories that I've written over, you know, and photos over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some stories that I've written nine years ago. There, There's one that I wrote uh, a year, a year and a half ago. Um, so it was, it was more the, 
because I had these little stories left and right, I wanted to, you know, to put them into compile. a book, compile, compile them so that really presents itself into a way that it that is better for the for the audience. And and so the follow up question is, what is the intention of the book? Where where what do you hope it will do? I hope that it will inspire people to to change their uh, their relationship to the world. Um, a lot of the work that I that I do, whether through the stories, is kind of trying to re-empower ourselves um, and try to reconnect our journey and our uh, and and the human species uh, onto a place that is a little bit more inspiring, rather than uh, founded on shame and guilt and anxiety. Because right now you you see people and people are not having a good time. Um, there's there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of guilt and anxiety and I think that you know it it's there's it's one thing to understand the mistakes that we've done but it's another thing to um, to undermine who we are as a species I think that right now with technology we're so focused on um, giving up on who we are um, and I think that there's a beauty in 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 the human species. Mm-hmm. I, I also read about um, your wild eco organization. Yes, yes. So tell us a little bit about that because it, it seems to me that all of the things you've touched on today apply to what you're trying to do. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's, wild eco is really my legacy project because I'm, you know, I tend to be the, the solo artist that goes out and I'm not the guide who brings people with me. If I do go out with other people, it's usually as an invited guest or the guest of honor or something like that. And I, I always felt that there was a dimension that was missing from my work that was particularly um, focused on uh, youth. And during a, a paddle, um, in the San Juan Islands, in Washington State, the dots finally came together. All my ideas happen when I'm by myself. But the uh, what is important for me is experiencing wilderness on more of a immersion wilderness immersion camp. So WILD is is an acronym that stands for Wilderness Immersion for Leadership and Discovery. And I got the domain name wild.eco, and then eco uh, stands for education, conservation, and uh, op- um, opportunities. Uh-huh, okay. And <clears throat> it's the the nonprofit is twofold. The first one is that we fundraise to send disadvantaged youth to month long wilderness camps. I think it's there's something absolutely magic in in experiencing those camps when you're. 16, 17. It's like learning a language. You know, you can go to class every weekend or even even a couple of days a week and you will know how to speak a language, but it will never be the same thing as going for a month into the country of the language and realizing the language is one part. You have food and you have the way people walk and talk and it's so much bigger. You learn to think in it and feel in it. Exactly. Not just... Here, it in the edge of your brain. Exactly. Yeah. So going to spend a month when you're 16, 17, uh, surrounded by, uh, within a curriculum of leadership and, and teamwork, uh, they come back and their lives has been transformed. So that's one thing. 
And then the other thing is the mentorship where we've taken the the lessons, the values uh, of the natural world, of the, the, the wilderness, and we've divided them in 12 themes. And so every month they we focus on that theme, they have assignments, they have to do some reading, some ser- uh, searching for um, certain articles, and then after that they have to write a one-page text. Uh-huh. And for that text, they can actually type it, and that's fine. But then they also have to do a drawing. Uh-huh. And the drawing is the thing that usually they have the most difficulty with because it's that vulnerable, like... It's your soul. It's your soul. Page. It's on the page. There's yeah. there's no censorship between, you know, it's a mirror. There's something really intimate and vulnerable that happens when it's just you and the pen and the page. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they always come back to me and they're like, oh, I don't like the drawing and please don't, <laughs> don't, you know, don't judge me. And, you know, it's part of that, it, it, the exercise for them to expose themselves and, to be able to express and i mean you know even myself i still draw like a five-year-old and you know there are pages of my journal that that i feel like so childish in some ways but it's it's so important there is there's something magical that happens when when you write with your hands on the paper Mm -hmm. your your uh your book launch tonight is that not at a bookstore or no, Arteryx. Yeah, it's at a, a a place that sells gear. Yes, for people who want to go into the wild, and yes. and m- much of your tour has connected with those kinds of places. Yeah, absolutely. It's at the Arteryx um, store in downtown Calgary. In fact, uh, a lot of the tour happened at, at Arteryx stores throughout North America. Yeah, yeah. Which is what you're trying to do with. People and nature too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's, there's really. I think that we've. I mean, even more so now with social media and, and the internet, um, it, everything has become so segmented and tribal. And I was having a conversation in Minneapolis with uh, with an amazing person, and we're talking about how we're so quick at shouting at each other and pointing fingers and and like. There was no, it's a really binary way of looking at the world. And um, I mean, I could go for a long time about the, the why and, and how, but we really have to reconnect ourselves with this idea of complexity. Life is, you know, is full of disruptions and tensions, and we want it in that way. That's the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. You know, disruption, you can think of like spice in our food or even the, the ornaments in a Christmas tree. We don't want blandness. We don't want the things that are just, you know, quiet. We want these disruptions, the richness. The richness. That's yeah. what that's what brings life. Uh, but and we have. I think that there's. I had this question at one point in one of my presentations where someone asked me if I thought that suffering was was um, if we could eliminate suffering. And I'm like, no. There's a purpose to suffering. It's not that you want to create it, but you need to understand what suffering does. It really brings people together because otherwise we would become extremely arrogant. Right. The suffering, life is not meant to be fair. Life is meant, because again, because otherwise people would, would, would figure out the formula and, and you know, it, it would not be 
uh, fun for, for many people. But the suffering really brings people together. And what happens is when, when people come together, there's an upswing of hope. Then you start to see what can be accomplished. But what happened right now in our world is that we're overwhelmed by suffering everywhere, but we don't see people coming together because we, we see the suffering through social media and we're through so the media. Fractured. We're so fractured. But then we don't see the upswings. And that's really how people have been able to go through huge transitions and wars and famines and diseases and everything, so many things. That's why they've been able to come out with hope is because when we come back together, we, we really, really shine. Well, we're reminded of the most beautiful parts of humanity. Yes. Love and yes. empathy and acceptance and Absolutely. resilience. And that's, that's part of growing up. And if, you, if we go back into the, the, the indigenous societies, our oral culture, the elders had a, tremendous, like a really important part in those communities. They're the ones passing the stories, the information, and there was, there was always wisdom with it. Because we, you know, when you're young, you need that really black and white energy to to create a place for yourself in, in life. But as you get older, you start to realize that, you know, life is more in the grays. And, and but when you, when you lose the things that you took for granted, then you, be, then you have more empathy. Yeah, and then you start to appreciate the things that are not necessarily about success or status, but about the things that brings us together. I have this, th this uh, theory about why in Europe uh, food is so important and why work is really, you know, it's important but not, not the number one. is because there's not one part of Europe, Europe that hasn't been conquered, destroyed over and over exactly. and over again through generation and generation. Yeah. So when these things are taken away from you, what are you left with? Bread? and community and story and if you have those things you have hope mm -hmm. and then that becomes these things that you protect as you go forward north america is the youngest culture on the, on the block we haven't experienced much losses the things that we've experienced are more internal you know but uh, so we're like the teenager that 20 years old that thinks is going to be he or she going to be successful and you know, accomplished by 30 years old. And now we're starting to feel certain the consequences. And, and that, you know, it's, it's, there's nothing bad about this. It's, that's the process of growth and process of, of learning. I have this, um, I tell people often, you know, um, about how we've all been in, in a relationship where, you know, you meet someone, you fall in love, and during that relationship, you do amazing things. You travel the world or um, many accomplishments. And then at one point, you realize that the, the, the two people grow apart. And you know that the relationship is broken. And you know that, you know, the, it's done. But you don't know how to move forward. And then there's a certain comfort in the expected. So many people know, you know, are in a relationship that they know it's broken. They just don't know how to move forward. But then the inevitable happens. It implodes and it implodes or it explodes. And then you go through the pain and the hurt. And then you go, I will never love again. 
I will never make myself vulnerable again. I won't be that stupid. I won't be that stupid. <laughs> and then six months, a year later, you know, they look back and it's like, thank God I'm out of this relationship and why did I stay so long? And this is what we're going through as a human species right now. We know that our relationship with the planet is broken. Um, it has been amazing for us for many reasons. Nobody wants to go back into caveman, you know, time. But we know also know that it came at tremendous, you know, consequences. And now we have to figure out how to move forward. Is it going to be difficult? Yes, because we have to totally reassess our values and our priorities and everything. Well, your book is is very inspirational and aspirational and absolutely beautiful. And thank you for taking this time in your crazy, many mild <laughs> kilometer journey crisscrossing North America to stop in at CJSW for a few minutes and tell us about it. Well, thank you. I know that, you know, originally the people think it's a book about nature and photography and in the end it's about ourselves and our place and, and the universe. And um, it's a lot more about philosophy. Uh, but I love when people just suddenly they start to read it and they, they, they get um it it's a journey for themselves so yes thank you so much thank you thank you for listening to writer's block here on cjsw i'm bringing us to the end of the program it's local band pd cruiser with their song hilltop